Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Kendra and I meet for the first time in almost 10 months to recap season six. In this episode, we talk about the span of humanity that has happened for both of us in this remarkable period of our lives, the birth of Kendra's new baby girl, Ivy, and the death of my father, Robert, just a few weeks before we recorded this episode. This is a great chance to revisit an incredible season of episodes and get the digs on our experience of making it in Behind the Scenes of Heal. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Well, here we are. Here we are. About like 10 months since we last spoke. Nine months, maybe. Yeah. This is an interesting season, season six, because of what we created around you getting to have an awesome maternity leave. We got all of season five done last summer, even though it came out in the fall. And then during the fall, when five was releasing, I started recording season six and it feels like a really long time ago that some of these, even though they came out, you know, January, February, it's been pretty neat. This, the, the doing of the season, like as we kind of do these as a episode 13 as a behind the scenes, the making of this season spans a lot of life for you and I. It does. It does so much so much change and shifting and yeah a lot of life has happened since we met last September yeah <laughs> and one life was born yes. Ivy yep Ivy was born at home on September 26th two days after her due date super late in the evening after like 24 hours of labor and wow. she is, yeah, she's doing great. She's eight and a half months old now and just has quite the little personality. You know, she can crawl around really well and can pull herself up to a stand and loves to walk with her little push walker. And it's crazy to think that she did not even exist Earthside the last uh-huh. time we recorded an episode 13. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, you know, it's, we're going to get into some more of the details around this. It actually came up in the process for me too, is just two weeks ago, my dad died of pancreatic cancer. And one of the things we had a lot of time, it was busy. One of the things I said to my sister is I can't believe how much work it takes to support somebody in not living. I can only imagine what it takes to heroically like have to keep somebody alive, right? Like I get a whole new perspective on what ICUs and what's needed at that level, because we weren't even trying to keep him alive. We were trying to support him in a comfortable and peaceful, graceful death. And it was 16 hour days and three of us around the clock plus support teams, like all of that. But one of the things we kind of talked about was the balance of birth and death And like, I think in some spiritual traditions, it seems like, you know, death is the end and birth is the beginning and it's linear. And the way we were talking about it is, is what if it's circular and death and birth are at opposite sides of the circle. So like birth, half the circle to death is our earthly living life. And then there's death exactly on the other side. That's equal and opposite to birth. And then there's something else. I don't know what, I won't say that I do. I have my own belief system, but something else between death of a human being body and birth of a human being body. And we actually kind of played out this, like, 
cartoon in my head because there was a lot of laughter in the process of dad dying. There was a ton of laughter. And I was like, what if it's like literally the opposite? Like at birth, we're like, oh my God, she's coming. This is so exciting. And, and then at death, it's not that. And it's different for everybody. And every death is different. Like every birth is different. But for us, there was a lot of celebration and honor, but there was also a lot of sadness and we're losing someone and he won't be here. And then we thought about it on the spiritual world, which is what if there's a bunch of spirits before birth that are like, Oh God, we're losing her to the human realm and she's going away. And like, (laughs) we had this whole picture painted in our head of like the balance of it. And so it's kind of, which would totally change the perspective on death. Right. If you think about what if death was like a birth on the other side? Yeah. Wow. That's a profound thought. Coming out of the, what if my dad and all his spirit friends are like, yay, you're here. Finally, we've waited for you. I mean, I hope so. Like, I don't, I don't know what it's like for him, but yeah. Yeah. You're coming out of the gate strong on this season. So we do want to talk a bit about where we've been in those episodes and the amazing guests that we've had such profound sharing and vulnerability and also some really killer kick-ass experts. And we had Mandy, who is an extraordinary coach. She had been a keto coach and she transformed even her relationship to diets and dieting into like really intuitive eating. And that was a neat place to start because that she and I didn't even know how much our, our own experiences and journeys had paralleled each other after I'd gone through the same process from naturopathic school and Tomas, who's a dear, dear friend. And that episode was many, many months in the making until he was ready to share. And so touchingly talked about his process with autoimmune disease. Yeah. I, man, I mean, there were so many good ones, you know, after that we had Dr. Renee Winstein and her discussion at libido felt especially poignant for me editing it shortly after coming back from maternity leave. Yeah. Cause as I'm sure you can imagine, there's a shift in that, you know, mm-hmm. when you're caring for a tiny human and your body's healing from quite the physical experience. And that one was super interesting. I mean, and then Reginald's episode on racism is so poignant for so many things in the world. And Marlene's episode on mold, this one's funny. My husband can hear these episodes while I'm editing them usually. I don't use headphones very often at home. It's just us. Yeah. And he has become a little obsessed with it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He's every time someone, when someone has like a headache or something at home, he's like, we should probably check if there's mold. We'd probably see if there's mold in our house. <laughs> so that one, I mean, that one really did its job. He is very- I love that though, alert. because I mean, that's what Marlene and I talked about is how undiagnosed it is, how often it's overlooked and not considered. I mean, I have a client right now that I've been working with the last two years and he had major black mold in his house for over five years, maybe longer. And it was antibiotic treatment after antibiotic treatment for sinus infection. And yeah, he had a sinus infection, but it wasn't getting to the root of it. And now we've actually completely, he has no more mold in his house. He's not being exposed as far as we know, but we are still detoxifying the actual toxins out because they will stay in your system until they're addressed. A lot of times it's really tricky to get them all the way out. 
And, you know, I have every confidence we will, and he will be totally free of it. And he's way healthier and happier now than he was before. And I've had several clients like that. You know, it took us a year or two to get all the way through the detoxing of the mold toxins afterwards. And how many people are out there thinking they have chronic headaches and chronic fatigue and all those things, and they just have to live with it. And there's actually something treatable underneath it. We did even just recently buy a mold kit. Just to check it out. It's good. It's it's worth actually doing just to check in. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, our new, that's another thing for the listeners too. I mean, I followed you out to the East coast. (laughs) Yes. You're on my side now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, not all the way to the East coast, but we're in Ohio and we live in the woods and it rains all the time here. It's so wet. We're renovating a house from the seventies. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility to think that there could be mold in our house. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we'll get to get to check in. And just to reiterate what Marlene talked about is all it takes is water damage. So actually like Arizona, there's tons of houses in Arizona that have had mold and not been yeah, dealt with properly because it just like the flooding, the flash floods or a pipe bursts or, you know, Texas with everybody dealing with those cold, the cold winter and all so many people's pipes burst, there's going to be a whole new resurgence there. So yes rainy places, but also, yes, I don't think anyone can escape the risk, but it does feel like we're in a heightened place for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got to talk with Jonathan DePotter, who has an international, pretty extraordinary company working with people on sacred plant medicine journeys and healing. And man, I mean, I loved that episode. And I also felt like I couldn't even begin to keep, he was so smart and just where his brain went and the things that he was at work on in his own life. And in the work that he does on the planet was, that was really like, wow, I get to talk to this person for an hour. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. I love, I mean, I've talked with you personally about growing up in a household that was like super anti-drug of any kind. And I love editing these episodes because they expand my view of how we interact with like sacred plants. And every time I listen to one of those episodes, I'm closer and closer to book in one of those retreats. I'm like, it just seems so powerful. It's such like a beautiful perspective to have and to understand how we can interact with the world around us in so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and go ahead and talk about Rob and Gary too. We're doing similar work in the world. Yeah. And you know, when I, from my perspective, when I look at it is like, there's a really cool thing that happens in nature where poisonous plant and its antidote will grow next to each other. And it's really common. And if you actually look in like certain environments where toxins actually naturally occur, the thing that cleans the toxin up also naturally occurs right in that same area. There's this amazing symbiotic relationship that happens all the time if an environment is balanced. And so I know I'm not the only person that thinks this, but the the resurgence and the increased surgeons of, I mean, in the 1960s was when LSD and, and psilocybin mushrooms reached a certain level of, of popularity and notoriety. And a lot of our actual hardcore scientific research and medical research started to really take root at that point in the sixties and and fifties really, but also sixties kind of exploded. And then that went into its prohibition period, which we're starting to come out of and it's like they're here and it's being talked about because it's so needed. And like, 
I've mentioned many times throughout the episodes, my, you know, love affair reading of, oh my gosh, seriously, I'm going to forget his name. The amazing doctor who talks about trauma all the time. I'll think of it in just a second. And that we live in a traumatized and traumatizing society and culture and trauma that goes unhealed begets more trauma. So like we're starting to uncover, you know, we see people dealing with drug addiction, which we used to think of as like bad behavior. We've now upgraded into the realm of mental illness, but even then it kind of pathologicalizes people, which there really can be like genetics and biochemical imbalances and things that actually have one person be far more susceptible to something becoming addictive than someone else. But what we're seeing more and more is when there's been traumatic childhoods, it comes from that. And my sister and I were actually just talking about looking at the generation of men who were raised by the generation of men who went and fought in Vietnam war and how like everything that happened during Vietnam and what that quote unquote did to society and to that group of men in particular, but also women that were involved in the war And then they have children and how that trauma got passed down generation to generation. And in so many ways in our generation and, you know, men in particular, but women also who are out there, how that just got passed on. And some of it's through emotional abuse and physical abuse. And some of it's just from neglect or lack of understanding how to share love and vulnerability. And so, you know, we have people like Brene Brown who work on it on the sociologic side. And then we have these amazing plants that have made themselves available (laughs) for doing just that kind of work. Yes. And it's really interesting too, because I don't remember which of those two episodes it came out of, I actually think this got touched on in both, but like the MAPS program and the connection between like that kind of medication for the treatment of PTSD. Yeah. And like I mentioned, I grew up in a household that like really kind of categorized anything that altered your state of mind as like a drug, the bad kind. Yeah. (laughs) But my dad suffers pretty, pretty terribly from PTSD related Mm -hmm. to his military experience. And having listened to those episodes, it's really actually opened up a discussion between me and my father about it. I've shared with him some of the articles that were referenced in those episodes where like they've kind of come out and been like, oh, this is actually a really good treatment for PTSD. Yeah. And it's been interesting to see how the podcast impacts people that like, don't even listen to it because it impacts the ripple effect. Yeah. 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 And I've been hearing that from people who listen too. Yeah. It's so cool because it is like starting to change my dad's mind, which is only important to me insofar as that he has more opportunities to receive help. Whatever that looks like, whether he ever chooses to work with those kind of medicines or ketamine therapy, or even, you know, I recently said to one of my clients, I'm like a gateway therapist. I'm not a therapist, but in the coaching work I did with her, it started to open up her even being willing to look into the possibility of working with a therapist. And so like, I love wherever the seed gets planted that just helps people get a broader perspective or start to actually go, Hmm, I don't know if that's for me, but I would be willing to look into like EMDR, Kathleen Lakey. And, you know, getting to talk to her about 
trauma therapy and EMDR in particular, which has to do with, I don't actually know the exact, but it has to do with rapid eye movements and actually how our eye movements impact our central nervous system. And you can unwind and reprocess traumatic events that when they happened, your brain couldn't fully take in. And then they leave an impact when we can't totally process them. They become triggers for future PTSD events. And it doesn't even have to be full-blown PTSD. It can be complex PTSD. It can just be life. We don't have a culture that inherently supports us in processing the pretty immense amount of trauma we can get exposed to simply watching the news, let alone, I mean, that's, I haven't talked yet much. I mean, honestly, I've been in a bit of a cave taking care of my dad for the last six weeks, you know, as he died of cancer and then the last two weeks in grief. And so I haven't really been in touch with that much, but the shootings that have happened, I know, I know of them. I really, honestly, I would say for me, I've turned a blind eye. I haven't even been able to let that in. I can't even go there right now. Like I'm processing other things, but in the culture that we have literally watching the news, let alone going through our work day and things that people might say to us or our own experiences through life, like we need something and to be able to open up these tools you know, of just being in communication with each other and being vulnerable, which is a lot what heal is about. It is. And and we got vulnerable on some of the other episodes we haven't touched on too. You got pretty awfully vulnerable about your money beliefs. I know. I'm, I actually thought about not releasing that one because I was like, oh man, that got personal. But I've had so many people (laughs) have actually, I know, I actually, I straight up asked Kendra. I was like, Kendra, what do you think? She's like, I think it's a good episode. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I've had many, I've had actually more people reach out to me about that episode than many. It's, you know, it's just interesting to see what strikes a nerve and, and that's a big one. And I've had people say that they saw a lot of themselves in that process and, they could kind of see where there were similarities. And yeah, Michelle, she is pretty stellar human being. And the work that she does in the world is like, it is so needed. And the interconnection between health and wealth, I really think it's locked into it's very similar so conversations we have about ourselves, you know, what we deserve and what, yeah, how much pleasure we're allowed to let into our lives in terms of feeling good and also in terms of financially like letting abundance run. Yeah. Yeah. I love that episode. It's one that it's one of those like forbidden topics. People always say like, don't talk about money. And I think it's really cool to bring in an opportunity to discuss that. Yeah. We're hitting on all the forbidden topics. Yeah, (laughs) Eventually I I hope I get to all of them. That's the plan. Yeah. 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 Oh, amen. You talked about CFS. Yeah. With Jenny. Yep. Yeah. And that was so neat to revisit. Honestly, I reached out to Jenny. So she was one of my overseeing doctors when in my clinic shifts, she was one of the teaching doctors at my medical school. And I just saw she was up to some neat stuff. And I didn't know that one of her primary specialties was chronic fatigue syndrome. So that was pretty rad to then get to revisit that conversation with her, you know, after the fact, and she actually filled in some gaps for me that, you know, and I've since taken her course for practitioners and, you know, the way that she organizes the diagnostic process and the treatment process around, and I can't remember exactly, I think it's like five aspects of diagnosis and four aspects of treatment, something close to that, but she kind of has these pillars and these categories that was really helpful for me. And I actually saw 
a gap in my thinking where I kind of had mitochondrial function wrapped in with infections and other things. And she teased them apart as separate. And I've now been able to see that in some of my clients where yes, Epstein-Barr virus has a big component to do with chronic fatigue syndrome, but not for everybody. Some people have chronic fatigue syndrome and it's a mitochondrial dysfunction, which actually then just to tie it all up in a bow brings us back to Tristan Brandhorst and fungicides. And it's kind of the other side of the mold conversation. We have toxic molds yeah. in our environment yep. that impact us, but then we have fungicides trying to keep mold and funguses in check in our food system. But then that organophosphate also is toxic for our body. And one of the things that impacts is mitochondrial function. So there's this other side of the story with the foods that we eat. And, you know, people ask me all the time, is eating organic worth it really? And I wish I had an even better solution than industrialized organic in America, because they're actually the best solution is from your backyard and out of your own dirt. But not yeah. all of us are going to do that. And the next best is from the neighbor down your street, you know, or in your local area. But orga- industrialized organic is definitely a leg up. And part of that is, yeah. is reducing these chemicals that have an impact on the other end of the spectrum as well. That episode resulted in my husband and I going and buying a deep freezer so we can buy like a quarter of a cow from a local farmer. Yes. I love that. And we talked my cousins into splitting splitting half a cow with us. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, this this season has impacted me in so many like practical ways. (laughs) Well, the whole thing was worth it just right there. That's awesome. You know, and then (laughs) I have thought a lot about how I mean, ironic isn't even the right word, but poignant and interesting it is that I got to talk with Sharon Lewis around healing cancer. And since that episode, I think we put it in there. She's been declared cancer free and, you know, she's got to be responsible now for maintaining that and taking care of herself in that way. And we talked about that in the episode and also, you know, this concept I've created of if, if you have the opportunity to heal cancer, which my dad did not have that opportunity, but if you have the opportunity to heal cancer, to recognize that the moment you're declared cancer free is like being at the summit of Mount Everest, you're not done. That's wonderful. It's a huge accomplishment, but you now have to get yourself safely off the mountain and literally using mountaineering as the analogy, more mountaineers die on the way down off the mountain than they do going up to the summit. And so there's a level of, we let our guard down, we stop paying attention. We think I'm home free, you know, all of that. And it's not to create, I have by no means think standing in a fear-based conversation is healthy, but there's a place of being needing to be responsible and pay attention where we haven't paid attention before. And so I'm really grateful for that. And actually I want to look, Sharon's came out on April 21st and my dad was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer on the 27th. And I actually sent him that episode. I mean, he usually listens to most of them, but I sent him that episode specifically just kind of as a placeholder conversation. And just for the sake of sharing the details. So like I have his cell phone, my mom, you know, obviously, and we've been needing it for contacts and things like that. And I was actually cleaning out. He had all these, he had like a thousand open apps. Every app was open on his phone after he passed (laughs) away. And I saw literally his Spotify account was open to that episode. And he listened to like 21 minutes of it and hadn't finished the episode, 
She's totally fine. She didn't really need it, but it was interesting to see that was the last podcast of mine he listened to. Yeah. That feels very uh, symbolic. It's interesting. I mean, and that's a good segue to talk about your dad. Do you feel ready to talk about it? (laughs) I do actually. And I want to really create for the listeners, like this had come up for me throughout the entire process. Kendra and I had actually talked about doing one interview while my dad was in the process of dying, which we didn't know how long it was going to be, could be months and another one after he passed and things moved quickly enough. It was 24 days from diagnosis to death that, that just didn't work out slash seem appropriate at the time. And it has only been two weeks and I've thought about, you know, but it's all that cultural stuff. Like should I, what will people think if I talk about it? And you know, all and it's like, but it is right there for me. Yeah. And one of the things, one of 10,000 things I've gotten out of being with my dad through diagnosis, dying and death, I didn't talk about death like at all. And I'm a doctor. <laughs> like, I mean, it's at least sort of related into right. my field and like, I, I mean, I, people have had a few friends commit suicide. I have definitely been present to none of them have hit like this with a parent, but I actually realized I don't. And I know culturally we mostly don't, but literally I don't, I can, I can probably count on one hand how many times I've like sat around and had a conversation about actual death. The interesting thing about that is I had a friend who's lost her son and she said that she thinks the only people who are uncomfortable talking about death are those who haven't experienced it. And that it comes more from a place of like selfish anxiety about like, well, I don't know what to say. Like you're making me feel weird because I don't know how to respond to you. And I don't know if this will, if this is true for you or not, but she, you know, kind of has regularly said, that it never makes her uncomfortable to talk about her son and his, and his death. That that is like part of healing for her is being able to talk about it. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of where I am right now is like, haven't done a ton of talking about it just this Sunday, a couple of days ago, I declared like, now that's what I need to do is, you know, talk about my dad talk about the actual, what happened, being communication more. And I could feel the emotional constipation starting to pent up some. And sometimes there aren't, what I've definitely realized in this process is how limited our language is. Like there are so many experiences I've had in the last six weeks that I, there's not a word in the English language. I can get close. And, but I do, I, I am ready. And I do think it's part of my healing process and also a massive contribution. Thank you, Kendra, for joining me in making this episode and this podcast as extraordinary as it is. For all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our brilliant editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We wouldn't be here without you. We'll see you next time in season seven of Heal next week.